Hello, I'm Tom McFarland. Unfortunately, it's been a few weeks since you've probably heard us in our podcast. Uh, unless, of course, you're going back and re-listening re through all of this. But in any event, I want to apologize for our absence and for a little bit of a continued absence that uh, we're going to have. Uh, we had, I had a uh, medical emergency with my son that had me in the hospital for a while. Um, we'll discuss that more in some future episodes. Uh, but with that, and then the holidays, and uh, kind of just everything hit at once, so we took a short hiatus from recording. Uh, this episode is going to be the uh, wrapping up of a kind of a... a multi-part series that we were working on and we're going to be coming back after thanksgiving with some brand new material uh, some exciting stuff a lot of things that we want to talk about um, but i just wanted to kind of you know let the listeners know what's happening and why we've been gone for a few weeks um it's we've had a lot going on and uh, we are coming back and we will be back shortly and we'll be talking about all the reasons that we were gone and kind of how that folds into like just a lot of shit you have to deal with as a parent. And uh, yeah, we're going to be diving real deep into that stuff, the immediacy of parenting, the stuff that we're all going through in the right now and right here. So yeah, keep hanging out, listening to us. Thank you for joining us and enjoy the episode. Hey, Tommy, I have a question. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. How, how does a Marxist uh, jerk off? <laughs> uh, I don't know how. By seizing the means of reproduction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's not too crude in my book. <laughs> hey, uh, look, you know, I I'm not. It's 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 not obviously I found the joke and found it funny. So I just, you know, <laughs> I I mean, like one of my hardest personal struggles right now is been, and that, OK, and I, I, a little bit of a sidebar here. I'm not a staunch believer in the idea of um, policing curse words. But that being said, I don't want my child's first word to be fuck. And he learned it from me. So trying to mitigate some of my cursing in a stressful environment over the past few weeks has been yeah thing uh, i'm gradually getting better at i feel yeah like there's a um a legitimate uh thing about you know like i don't have a problem with cursing and you know as my kids have gotten slightly older i've become more prone to you know doing that sort of thing around them but like there's definitely the reality that like they're children and like just in general, like, like all morality teaching with children involves uh, teaching them very easy rules that are very simple and very wrong and unnuanced. So it's like, don't hit things like don't hit people. That's not okay. And then you have to later sort of like take that extremely simple model and like tweak it a bit. Like, well, you know, there's some people you got to defend yourself, you know, if you're getting attacked or, you know, you gotta do this or that. And I, you know, to me, cursing is the same sort of thing it's like okay don't say these words because you don't know the appropriate way to administer them in your language the appropriate places to use them <laughs> and then you know as they get older be like all right you know just like don't say them in front of grandma or whatever because <laughs> um yeah and no, i agree and i think this actually brings us to an important element of this week's episode of talking about a 
a concept that has to be simplified early into our understanding of politics that has to then be unsimplified at some point. And I think for a great many people, even people who are elected politicians, it never gets unsimplified. Um, but first, let's talk about who we are, because we haven't actually introduced ourselves in this intro uh, 20 minutes later. Uh, <laughs> uh, you're listening to uh, Raise Them Left. I had to, it's been so long since we've recorded, I had to think about what this podcast is called. Um, Tommy has been enjoying his time with a infant, so. Yes, I have a five-week-old in the house right now, and, uh, you know, it was stressful week one and two and then it was pretty chill for a couple of weeks and then now it's back to like i just want sleep yeah. <laughs> um constantly and 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 well and i've been working with infant and uh uh that is a thing that is going to be very soon coming to a close where i will only be uh stay-at-home parenting but uh yeah, no, the, this whole uh, working during the first six weeks of having a child at home is bullshit, and you should go listen to our episode about parental leave, because we should burn some things down until we get that. <laughs> but <laughs> stepping back from burning things down for political reasons, what are we talking about this week? Uh, uh, we are wrapping up our discussion on horseshoe theory um, before we kind of um, talked about... Um, you know, how it relates to a couple of different parenting styles and how they kind of, um, you know, end up feeling like uh, similar in like their outcomes and like, even though they're radically different. So there's this sense of like, you know, oh, there seems to be this sort of like horseshoe parenting styles between latchkey parenting and helicopter parenting where like one is very neglectful and one is very like interventionist, but like both end up having you know negative outcomes and like the question is like uh, we hear this around politics a lot uh the horseshoe um theory is like oh the extreme left and the extreme right are both like extremists and uh therefore bad and uh you know it's a more centrist sort of position that's like actually the different one from the the more extremes and so the question is, is like, is that comparison fair? You know, like what if if one of them is apt and one of them is not like why? Uh, and that's what we'll kind of be talking about. I agree. Um, and and I think a way to sort of begin this is, you know, like, you know, and you've kind of hit on a uh, element here that I wanted to hit on. Um, but that is like directly comparing uh, horseshoe parenting and latchkey parenting to these kind of political realms. And this is going to be. You mean helicopter parenting and latchkey parenting? Yes. You said what horseshoe parenting. Oh, horseshoe parenting, yes. For the yeah, yeah, lack no, heli of confusion. <laughs> helicopter parenting and latchkey parenting. So uh, we've compared latchkey parenting to the concept of a free market conservative. Um, so the market performs best when it's left relatively alone, it self-regulates, government regulations aren't needed, uh, you have these perceived positive effects of a greater development of, de of dependence, reliability, self-sufficiency, you know, all these wonderfully great things, but we have a bunch of measured negative effects, such as 
predation and abuse of workers. Uh, child abuse is something that is heavily documented in latchkey parenting situations. Uh, decreased freedom of the market uh, because the market is just controlled by market leaders. Uh, you know, kids don't actually have that much self-sufficiency because when you remove parents from the uh, uh, from the authority, you know, from the role of parenting, often somebody else slides into that role. Often an older sibling, or even just older kids in the neighborhood, or just some, or a babysitter, or somebody else slides into that role, and often it's somebody who is looking to slide into a role to abuse a role. Uh, we see uh, increased rates of loneliness, boredom, and fear. Uh, we see increased, ra increased rates of behavioral outbursts, and we see increased rates of anxiety and depression. And then on the helicopter parenting, the uh, kind of comparison there is to a neoliberal pol political framework. So the market performs best when it's extremely tightly regulated by a state authority. Or children operate best when they're extremely well regulated by a parental authority. An intense belief exists in this in the validity of institutions and the goodwill of the free market. So the free market means to do good, but the institutions need to just help keep it in check. It's I, I often see this like said as a checks and balances that like government regulators are the checks and balances to the free market. Uh, and you see the same kind of a thing happening in parenting here, where you know the 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 uh, it, it's you know they need some you know the, like the idea that kids need to develop and they need to do that under the check and balance of in of constant soup not necessarily constant supervision but constant uh, dictation of what their day is going to be. You know, we talked yeah, about like the, when the things start to go. Sorry, I was just no, going to no, say, like, like with neoliberalism, like sometimes the market goes off the rails and you got to have the regulations to tie them in. You know, sometimes your kid's life goes off the rails and you got to, you know, intervene to bring it in. Maybe they're not getting the right grade and it's going to stop them from college. So you got to go yell at a teacher to get the right grade on there so that it doesn't sabotage their future or, you know. Uh, maybe they're not, you know, achieving in the way that you think that they should be by that point. You know, you have this sort of idealized idea of how a child's life should go and you use intervention to keep it on that path um, because that's your model of how, what, a, you know, the correct or good sort of um, life looks like. Yes. And similarly to neoliberalism, they have an idea of, you know, like, uh, how a market should function and what it, what it should look like when it's doing that. But, you know, sometimes we get these monopolies or we get these other things and we got to, you know, uh, rein that in because that, you know, is going off the rails, as it were. But with no analysis oftentimes as to why it's going off the rails or what might be um, the cause of, you know, or, or whether or not your model, for example, of how a market or a child should be is uh, flawed in some way contradictory perhaps in some way yeah i agree uh, yeah yeah no very much and and so like and along with this you get this kind of concept that any problems that do arise there aren't a problem with regular they're not a problem with the market itself like the market can't do can't be doing the you know the, the system in which uh all of this market is existing can't be the problem. The problem is that you need to over-regulate. You need to continue doing that regulation. And the same thing with a lot of parents who get really wrapped into this helicopter parenting. Every time their parent, every time their child stumbles in life, 
well, the problem can't be the life that's existing around them. The problem can't be our society and our structures of things. The problem is that, well, they need to really just pull up their own bootstraps by okay. us giving them the structured things to do. Um, so if you want like a more like in-depth discussion on that, that's kind of a summary of the past two things. And then the comparison here is, you know, similarly like with, you know, both of these have similar outcomes, right? Like there's the, uh, both for helicopter parenting and um, latchkey parenting, there's a lot of similar outcomes in like increased anxiety and depression, you know, increased rates of child predation, um, you know, just a lot of these kind of uh, similar negative outcomes that might lead one to look at them that although they operate on very, very different um value systems in terms of like how and when to intervene uh, in a child's life. Um, they both are bad. They both have bad outcomes. And this, you know, sounds very similar in its structure to like horseshoe theory, like um, with po politics, which is the idea that like the extreme right and the extreme left end up saying a lot of the same things. They end up sounding a lot the same and that they are ideologically very similar to each other and uh it's actually like the centrists or the neoliberals you know sort of that are the ones that are you know different uh that are more reasonable or whatever um and i don't think that comparison holds up personally just because um i think there's a there's a couple of reasons um the the first is that like um in one case, in the parenting case, like we're talking about outcomes seeming similar versus uh, in the political uh, arena with horseshoe theory, we're talking more about aesthetics being similar, which is a very important distinction. And then the other one is like, there's just a general problem in all of these that's like, this is a multi-dimensional problem with lots of different facets and looking at it from a certain lens things can look very similar to each other, but looking at it from, you know, another direction, another angle from another type of analysis uh, shows some like pretty stark differences between them. And we can go into, you know, some of that or whatever, but that's kind of my broad top level take on the whole thing. Yeah, no, no. I think there's some validity there. I, I, I do. And I, I do though. I, I do. I, I disagree in that. I, you know, I do see, um, well, I wouldn't say that, of course, it's a one-to-one -one comparison here, but I think it can, in many ways, serve as kind of a learning tool, right? It's like the idea of taking a broader political concept and boiling it down to talk about it in a household concept, which often is a very, uh, can be a manipulative way to do, to talk about politics, right? You know, when they're like, well, you know, you know, in my household, I make sure that I balance my budget and we need to do the same thing with the government. You know, that can be a very manipulative tactic, um, because you're again, talking about two very different systems. Um, but I think in a broader sense of talking about politic, it can be helpful, but I do agree with you. Yeah. Like if you can definitely look at these, you know, I, was a little unsure as I was writing some of the script work about, um, yeah, how on the nose I was, because this is actually a political concept that I'm not completely concrete on because, well, I'm not a theorist. I'm not a political theorist. I'm uh, more in, I don't know, other uh, 
I, I don't know what I, how to say where my political theory education is. Uh, I am very, I, I guess I would say that I'm very young in my political, ed, in my education with political theory. Um, but I do see a lot of comparison in, in this, in this, in the same kind of way of like we talked about before, specifically there being a through line with conservative uh, household management and conservative parenting into conservative politics. Um, and, and one of these kind of elements that I do see, like, well, like in that is like, it's, it's, re it's reactionary behavior and reactionary behavior, uh, working its way through parenting in the same way that it works its way through conservative politic. And then also I would argue reactionary behavior working its way through neoliberal politic in the same way that it operates through helicopter parenting, right? It's still operating on a reactionary function. And, th and this is where I get to where, like, I think in some ways, of course, there is some idiom of truth to a horseshoe theory of what you're perceiving of like, well, there's similarities to these two things. There is, I would argue that neoliberals and conservatives are, which are more in the, you know, arguably more in the center are, operating off of a lot of reactionary basis. And when you go out to that outside and you see people sometimes operating outside of a reactionary basis, you can draw your comparisons there and things like that. And other elements here that kind of draw into a comparison, but that doesn't make the analysis of the horseshoe correct. Um, so like specifically one of these, when we were talking about, uh, I'm trying to rewind in my head, we were talking about how we kind of compare um, like political theory now to um like you know okay so in in history and when we look at history we like to talk about how history repeats something happens today oh well it's the same as this thing that happened 20 or 30 years ago one of the interesting things that we don't do very much in history is when we look at analysis of things 100 years ago we don't as often compare it to something that happened 200 years before that and part of that is because we're better at contextualizing that into saying that now yes world war world war one and the napoleonic wars had similarities in that they were global conflicts but they were wildly and ridiculously different for a bunch of other reasons so you can't necessarily compare those but we will look at modern politics and like reactionary conservative politics and fascia in the rise of fascism in the modern world and feel necessitated to compare it to the rise of Na uh, rise of fascism in Nazi Germany and like, well, if this fascism doesn't look like Nazis, then it's not true fascism. But we would never look at, uh, you know, the expansion of empire and colonization in World War One, and then find like, well, okay, unless that looks exactly like the expansion of empire and, col and colonization in the 18th century, then one is like then one can't be imperialization and colonization like we wouldn't do that yeah i mean you can see this kind of phenomenon in historical analysis um when it comes to just like kind of the broad discourse about modes of production in general like you have people who you know say like oh like socialism is this like really nice sounding idea of like you know let's, let's like make everything more equitable and you know make you know distribute wealth and make sure everyone kind of has like a solid baseline and all that kind of stuff but um you know it's not realistic like you know that's just um um how could people ever like get you know how could you ever get this thing that would rely upon it, it would always like fall to corruption or greed or whatever but the thing is is like um you can go back in time and find 
people who were writing uh, at the dawn of, uh, you know, so as capitalism was beginning to emerge and really fight for its uh, right to exist against uh, feudalism, right? Uh, you have a lot of people like, you know, academics or royals or whatever who are like writing things about how like, oh, it's like obviously, uh, you know, nice to to imagine that like, you know, we could just let people open these sorts of things and they don't need approval of the crown and like maybe you know it's just like some sort of but realistically you know um we have this you know god-given right to rule and you know we don't want you know these people we don't just want random people by some market to decide like what you know is good and bad like we need you know the the kings are god's voice on earth and like that you know there's just same same sort of thing of like being like it's a nice idea but it's not realistic and it's a very different sort of justification in you know in when talking about like defending feudalism versus defending capitalism now um it's not it's not one-to-one comparison you can't just be like oh these are exactly the same sort of criticisms and it's just like history repeating itself um i think often the analogy that i've heard before when it comes to this sort of thing is like history doesn't really repeat itself it just rhymes Mm -hmm. um and and i see this as a kind of a rhyme like it's got a similar structure um to uh the criticisms of socialism now as being unrealistic or too idealistic or you know not having like a clear path forward um, strike me as similar to those in a way that you go like, okay, I mean, it's important to take the the meat of that and say like, when we're building our ideas about what a socialism should look like, we should make sure that we're considering, you know, is this stable? Is it good? Is it, will it sustain itself? Like, can it handle all the things that needs to be able to handle to survive? Um, but just throwing it out as an idea as like, I can't imagine this. It's not good. It's just like not a good argument. Uh, people that that argument would have worked just as well defending feudalism. And, you know, but we know now how that plant panned out. Those people were wrong and we can reasonably infer that people are wrong to just throw out, you know, socialist ideas um, just offhandedly like that. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that kind of brings me to another point and a reason that I wanted to make this comparison. And that's because there is some, there's an effect in American politics. And I kind of hit on this, you know, when I mentioned about like how very few people have a full and comprehensive political education for one thing and how very few people have like a full comprehensive, like like horseshoe theory is something you develop early on. And you never grow beyond it. And it's a set of blinders that most people wear. And when I say people, I don't just mean like, like I want to be very clear that I mean people all the way to the top of 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 politic. Um, and, and it's this idea that the liberals are the far left and the conservatives are the far right. Um, the people who vote for Trump, that's the far right. And the people who, man, they just are diehard blue wave, uh, love them some Joe Biden or the far left. 
And so, yeah, when you look at those two people, they're basically the same. And when you get to some of their policies and when you really start deep diving into some things. So, I mean, those two ends of the horseshoe must just be the exact same thing without realizing you're looking at the middle of the horseshoe because you don't have the political knowledge to know how much further the spectrum goes on both sides of that. Like, (laughs) so, so when you're talking about in political theory, right. Horseshoe theory gets applied, um, kind of in that way sometimes. Although I would say the more common usage is to compare leftists to fascists, right. It's to say like, look at them. They're saying the same thing as they're saying that society is, uh, fundamentally sick and it's that way because of a group of elites who uh, dominate and control society through an undue influence and the only way to fix this sickness is to um, you know get rid of this class of ruling elites and uh, uh, you know move to some better state and utopia which is like a very aesthetic um criticism because they're both populist uh and that's true uh that now you can figure out why that's not where that falls apart the minute that you ask who's the group of elites Mm -hmm. because a leftist is going to tell you oh well it's capital owners and they own a sort of thing and they collect you know like they're going to give you a marxist leftist analysis of like capitalism and importantly capital owners is a class that people can just not be in you can collapse it and uh you know in theory at least with no violence right like there's no um there's no reason anyone has to continue to be a capitalist right now uh if you ask a fascist who the elite group is you know they're gonna say uh, you know, it, it, you know, back in World War II era, they would have said like the Jews, right? Um, the Bolsheviks or whatever, you know, nowadays it would be like um, whatever scapegoat is, you know, currently often uh, the, France. sometimes it's still the Jews, but like yeah. other often times it's like, the, glo- the globalist because you don't want to name a certain one because that'll get you in trouble. People will recognize what you're saying. So you say the globalists and that's general enough that nobody's going to call you out when you usually, yeah, you mean a specific group. Yeah. And it's usually, you know, uh, like, or, you know, um, academic elites or something who, you know, uh, are controlling our kids through the, you know, educational institution or, you know, right now they haven't crystallized, um, around one consistently, um, because, um, you know, they're searching for what sticks essentially. Um, and, uh, it could be any number of things ultimately, but you can feel this sort of fishing. It's the, it's that same sort of thing. Like what group can we throw at the wall that people will stick to? Yeah, no, I, I agree. And well, and I think like with that, it's the factionalism of the right, you know, that, you know, the, the left is factionalized by ideological differences about like what we should do. And the right is factionalized by like, who do we have to exterminate to fix the problem? And I, I agree with you that that's the um, academic perspective of horseshoe theory. I disagree that 
entirely the general public perceives it as such. That being said, I might be wrong because my perspective is a little skewed into like rural political, usually conservative uh, spaces. Well, I say usually always conservative spaces where the political ignorance level is just way high. Um, often, you know, like, like it, it's like, I have had so many difficulties in younger conversations even, but even, you know, today in conversations like my parent, it's and stuff like that, of just explaining the concept of something, something, anything existing beyond the center, um, to the point of, you know, like the idea of like, well, communists aren't just the boogeyman of like something overseas. Like, no, there are communists who live in your own neighborhood who actually really care about your community. And they do not like, they didn't like, you know, there, there's this political divide between liberals and communists. Cause no, they're just liberals. Uh, all the liberals are just secret communists. Um, and then even on the right, it's if like, only, yeah, <laughs> you know, even on the right, there's, you know, cause like there is different Trump voters. There are Trump voters who are just like, be like him because he's a populist um because he he speaks the way i do and you know what i get where he's coming from um and then there are people who are leveraging that element of him to build fascism in the united states and there's a lot of people who just don't get the difference there between you know just regular joe schmo who is following a cult of personality and people who are actively trying to build a Christian fascist state that will exterminate people that they want exterminated so that it creates the perfect utopia they're looking for. Um, I, I definitely agree with you that there is a sense, um, a, a very real and I would say accurate sense that like the Democrats and Republicans have a lot of shared ground and there is, you know, not enough meaningful difference between the two of them. I personally haven't run into anyone calling it horseshoe theory, although I can kind of see the comparison there. But yeah, I mean, I certainly agree that like people with, um, you know, what I would say is a deeply neoliberal framing uh, where, you know, who does perceive Joe Biden as far left, yeah. <laughs> um, which oh man. it's ridiculous, but it's so damned common. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. And it's common for sure. I, I can see how that might seem like that, but then I would wonder like, what do you see as different? Like to me, I can't imagine anyone stuck in that kind of framing, seeing it as anything, but just like a line because like, how could it be horseshoe shaped? What's it? What's, what's the, thing in the middle that you perceive as like good that's like meaningfully different than the right and the left in 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 your mind i just uh, i don't but yeah and i mean i may not be talking to the people that that use the the term horseshoe theory in this way yeah and and now and to be fair like you know i would say it's um I don't know. I, I I don't know if I've heard it necessarily specifically stated as horseshoe theory, but the concept existing here and often, and this is something that I even fell into quite a bit before, like so, like before college, I was, and uh, for say for admitting this, but I was leaning into like libertarian sex, you know, like you know politics, and I fell into this. I considered myself 
a true moderate. Uh, you know, I didn't, you know, I, I, I see some problems with Obama and I see some problems with, um, uh, McCain. Um, but you know, I, I'm able to like, look at both and see how both are, you know, okay. And it's the, the Trump of the party at that time. And the, um, uh, the, uh, I don't really know who I would have pointed to, you know, but you know the the idea of it is people who are leftist, who left slightly criticizing Obama were, you know, like oh they're all the same. I, even like during like the 2015 election, which and by that time I was very firmly neo neoliberal, um, I I was a little bit grumpy with some people in the Bernie campaign who were now I would be much more chill with. Um, and at the time, I kind of saw, I was like, oh, God damn it, you're just dragging us into the mud with all this stupid shit that is conspiracy theory conservative shit. And some of it was conspiracy theory conservative shit. Uh, there's, you know, the hippie to uh, conservative far-right pipeline. You know, there are some people who participated in the uh, 99% rallies in 2008 who then are now in the Trump camp. You know, there are people who were even in the Bernie camp who are now in the Trump camp. Some of those people who are like, you know, like fluoride, like I remember it being an issue at a Bernie uh, meeting of like somebody who was like, yeah, and Bernie's going to do something about them putting fluoride in the water. And I'm like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I genuinely think people like this have like, well, there's definitely the people who are prone to conspiracy type of thinking, in which case, like it's self-reinforcing type of thing. You can't, you know, there only way there's a whole set of literature about what to do about those people that's very complicated and difficult but like i think a lot of people um have this problem where um you know they're very very smart people and they definitely know at some level that there is something wrong they're being screwed over they're being taken advantage of that society is sick in some way and when you have the mainstream conservative and the mainstream liberals up on a thing all saying Society has got it pretty much figured out. Capitalism is the way, the end of history. We've done this thing and it's good fundamentally. It's just a matter of, in the conservative case, freeing it up a little more. In the liberal case, like, uh, you know, putting some a little bit more restrictions on it, right? If you, if the one thing that you know is that something is wrong, the first person who comes along like Trump or whatever and says like, no, these people are all full of shit. And like, yeah, it's wrong. Like it's bad. And society's falling apart and you should be angry. And it's the immigrants fault. Like that's wrong. And they shouldn't, they should know better in a sort of objective sense. But like, if the only other two options they are presented with are people going, no, you're crazy for thinking that there's something wrong. And they don't have an analysis to understand why Trump is wrong or why like a right wing populism analysis is bad. They're probably just going to go with the right wing populism out of a thing of like, well, I've tried both of these over and over for decades and it keeps failing me. So let's just go with this and hope that maybe it shakes things up and makes things a little bit better or at least makes room for someone who can come along with a better thing. Uh, and that analysis sucks. It's bad, but like. I understand it from the perspective of someone who may not have access to like a clear and well thought out, you know, left leftist analysis of capitalism and, and whatnot. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I think for right now, that's, 
let's have a quick word from our sponsors, um, of which don't really exist. I just don't pay for Zoom. We'll be right back after something from this sponsor message thing. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, this episode is brought to you by the concept of swaddles. We did an entire episode on them, and I didn't know how amazing they are. Holy shit, y'all, go get a fucking swaddle. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I really want one of the human-sized swaddles. Uh, like, I just want to be swaddled. Like, okay, so I, I think I might even talked about this on one of the other episodes, but I'm going to talk about it again because I can. Um uh, we were like, you know, doing the terrible thing of looking through the internet at comments. And there was a comment section on somebody who had swaddled their baby. And they were like, what if somebody came by and swaddled you? How would you like it? And I'm like, I <laughs> fucking love it. <laughs> uh, that is a extremely weird take on that. <laughs> like, uh, okay. I just like, don't want to get into that, but like, Yeah. Uh. <laughs> on topic um so i uh, all of this has been to say um correct me if i'm wrong here but horseshoe theory is bullshit uh yeah i mean basically uh it's interesting like when it comes to like the parenting uh analysis of like the horseshoe theory you know of like comparing uh helicopter parenting and uh, latchkey parenting um it it strikes me as uh much more so, like in, in the two versions we've talked about sort of like one's comparing the extreme left and extreme right one's more of a a general sense of like uh it's all the same it doesn't really matter um i think that um it strikes me as a lot more like the second one in the sense of like um yeah like both of these are very bad and they have similar outcomes and like all that kind of stuff. Even And and you might get the sense of like, it doesn't really matter what I do. Like if I do a bunch of intervention, it's just more like hel helicopter parenting or if I free my kid up and don't do anything, it's just more like latchkey parenting. They both suck. So like, what are you supposed to do? There's no good way to parent type of thing. And to me, like the solution to both, um, you know, the neoliberal framing and politics or this, you know, other framing and parenting is to see the frame you have to note that you've you've had options cut out from your vision by systems and society and stuff like that and that you know the best thing you can do is to try to break out of those try to try to find good serious people who are thoughtful and caring who do good analysis of these things and can find um who can give you good advice about how to approach things in a different way i like to hope that uh you know, one day this podcast may help someone in that way, uh, help them see different ways of doing things and different ways of raising children in a way that isn't, um, doesn't require them to instill in them, you know, values that will ultimately harm them. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I, you know, I think one of the things that has been most exciting for me over the past few years, uh, I would say the only positive thing post 2020 for me, because a lot of my real political awakening came post 2020. And I've been politically interested or active my whole life, even as a kid. Okay, so I'm going to get into something really dorky. Uh, this is a parenting podcast, though, so I'm allowed to talk about this. 
I was an only child, right? I was also in, extremely isolated from other children. I really wasn't allowed to have like friends over and stuff. Um, and I, uh, at one point, I had like this whole like secret organization that I had invented and created and was a part of and was leading and was, and that it was, uh, I don't remember even what the act, it had like even a stupid leftist acronym. And mind you, I had zero political knowledge of anything whatsoever. My parents didn't, we were not like, you know, my parents were Bush voters at this time. Um, but uh yeah it was like some silly acronym about like trying me trying to like liberate children from the tyranny of adults um and give children rights because children didn't don't have rights uh, and should have like dictation and control over their own lives it was pretty fucking based for a nine-year-old um and it was just me like just being mad about my situation and venting in no way. Um, but I mean, yeah, like I, you know, and then when I did, my, I had a short lived hip hop career in my teens and early 20s, and it was very political. All of my work was a variety of fuck the police and fuck the systems that we live under. And again, I had no, like at that, at that time, I would argue that I was like a little neo libertarian. Like um, I definitely wasn't a conservative with my libertarianism, but I saw libertarians as like, you know, the political party that allows you to have guns and weed. And that was what I was after. Uh, Turns out you can still be a leftist. It's, <laughs> and there's, it's, there's a whole leftist uh, pro-gun thing. And also, uh, I I mean, just I feel like acceptance of weed is just like, I, 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 I guess other than some like authoritarian tanky types, which I would argue aren't even actual leftists um, uh, are against weed, but whatever. (laughs) And I mean, it was really, it was 2020 and having, um, you know, I'll I'll tell you all the way up until 2020 politics was frustrating for me. Even when I engaged it with it, even when I was speaking in a Bernie rally and I was a Democrat and I was very neoliberal, I found politics frustrating because I felt like it was very bottled up. Like there's only so many things you can think and do. And like, there's no new ideas out here. There's no depth to any of it. All of this seemed shallow and just frustrating and wrong. Like everything I'm looking at is just inaccurate in one way or another. And it was the summer of 2020. Uh, and the fact that I had like six months, six months of, um, uh, what was the word administrative leave because of COVID. So I was unemployed living in home with a steady check, nothing to do except think about politics, listen to podcasts about politics and read about politics from like the summer of 2020 all the way really up into like recently. And it opened like that was a, like a huge set of double doors opening up to me of what what do you mean like these are the only like political like sp- this is the only parts of the political spectrum all of these other elements of the political spectrum exist that i had just never really understood or known anything about or just, just had zero exposure to or access to or knowledge of um, and to the point where it's like, it feels like infinite paths. And I'm still like, I, you know, like right now I'm, I'm, uh, reading about like anarcho Judaism, 
um, which has just some really cool ass characters uh, in, historically who were involved with it. You know, and, and it, it feels like just constantly I'm turning around and running into some amazing story that should have been the first thing I was ever told. And it was the last thing I was ever told. And it's one of the reasons why I soapbox really hard about this. Um, and it's not about like, quote, being woke to, oh, this bigger world that's been hidden from you. I mean, because like, and I, cause I don't mean it as like sounding like conspiratorial or in any kind of a way. It's a functional matter. This happens with literally any topic. I mean, you know, when I went to college for the first time, the idea that classes existed for media production blew my mind. The idea that there was enough that existed about working a soundboard that I could study it and read about it in a book blew my mind. Um, it's and which now seems very silly of me and naive of me, but we're all naive. We all have elements of knowledge that are just locked away that we've never looked at, had a chance to get to, and. This is one of the reasons I would argue that six months of anybody uh, being able to stay at home while getting paid to do so and just learn is one of the most valuable things that can happen in anybody's life. And uh, we should break capitalism and wage labor so that more people can do that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that, you know, obviously having lots of free time gives you the capacity to do a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I would say, like, just in general, like the the problems that, you know, people have with that uh, or ra rather like some things you, things you might point to, like you could equally just as go go down a bad rabbit hole of like, you know, uh, fascist ideology on your own in six months, you know, with no input. But like the reason that people do that is they exist in a current environment that, you know, encourages and uh, drives them in that direction uh for reasons that ultimately boil down to um is profitable for someone uh for those people to do that uh and so yeah i mean i think in general just being able to escape out of a framing to see the previously uh invisible or to denormalize the previously normal um is you know an important step in in people you know opening their eyes to some of the things that are not hidden from them but simply put out of frame uh it's much easier to get people to ignore something by making it irrelevant rather than um book burnings are obvious you know mm -hmm. uh they get you get a bunch of backlash when you do that kind of thing to all from all the people that know how bad that book is um if you just leave the books in the library shelf and never talk to talk about them don't encourage people to read them don't talk about um don't talk about them and kind of just maybe a little thing of like oh yeah that's a, like a silly book that silly people read or whatever um is good enough and actually much more stable than trying to destroy an idea which often backfires um yeah i agree and i mean you know and a lot of this can be applied to parenting and you know it's a thing that you get told a lot in parenting uh i feel like when you talk about like you know no i want to do something a little bit radical i want to try to do something different and uh you know give my kid more freedom give them more um 
capability to grow and learn and become their own individual, you'll get, you know, people like, yeah, 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 you think that now, but, you know, um, you know, nobody's ever actually, you know, ran a country on that principle and, and had it succeed. Uh, I'm referencing anarchism there. Um, and it, it's a thing that happens to you in parenting every time you kind of, you know, well, I want to be a little revolutionary and try to do something different. And I've been reading about all of these other, you know, parenting groups who did some of the same kind of a thing and it worked really well for them. And people will just kind of like, well, you know, good luck with that. Your life's going to be miserable. Just deal with it. Uh, their life's going to be miserable. Deal with it. And it's, it's a thing that you have to kind of break through, I think, as a parent. Um, and yeah, recognize... I mean, a really good example of this is um, people talking about uh, trans uh, issues and children like the amount of times that you can find uh, even like fairly progressive parents being like um you know well it's just very confusing you know uh it's a very confusing thing to understand like the differences between gender and sex and how people can identify one way and like be different ways like it's just really complicated and it's going to confuse a lot of children and they're going to have a lot of less like um self-doubt and uncertainty and it's going to cause them a lot of like you know pain and confusion and all that kind of stuff um it's you know it's better to just kind of leave that for when they get a little bit older you know and they can approach that kind of is that there's like an example of how um they kind of um get people to sort of like forget and leave that to the side and and fail to introduce that until either gets to a point that once it's introduced it then feels alien and weird and out there um, in a way that serves kind of the narrative of how those of those things in society. Um, and just from practical experience, it's not it's I, I my children from a very young age know many trans people and have we've had conversations about that, you know, about what those about what trans people are and, you know, uh, Obviously, those conversations are simplified, um, as is any conversation about any moral or social issue with a child. Um, you have to meet them where they're at. And sometimes that involves incomplete metaphors or, you know, things like that. But the fundamental reality is, is that, like, you emphasize at the center of them acceptance and uh, you emphasize at the center of them that there are lots of ways to be. And it's OK if you feel that way and it's OK if you don't feel that way. Uh, and they're not confused. It's not like my, my kid does not go like, I don't, I, I, we talked about this and I don't know now if I'm a boy or a girl, it's so confusing. Like they go like, no, I feel like, boy, this feels right. I feel okay with my body. Like it's whatever. Um, I don't experience any of those things. So that doesn't seem like me, but if they do hit puberty, right. And they start to have feelings they didn't have before. Right. And I do end up having a daughter where I thought I had a son. Right. Then they have something to a explain what's going on and understand it. It's not just this really confusing bundle of mess of emotions and B they have, they know that they can talk to me about it and I'll be accepting of it. And it's like the, the narrative of like this being confusing is, is a way that they kind of like put it out of frame um the minute someone looks at it they go like well that's kind of like older kid stuff at most like if you even need to do it they'll figure it out you know um kind of attitude is is how that kind of appears in parenting 
Yeah, I, I, I agree completely. And you know, like having, and, and that's, yeah, that that's the tie together of these two frameworks and why I, I think it's important to, to talk about this podcast with like this kind of a twin beam of, you know, one beam being politics and the other beam being parenting. I think there's these crossovers happen so much and are happening so much in our world right now that, yeah. Um, so, sorry, my brain is starting to shut down. It's past my bedtime, which means it's time <laughs> to wrap up. Your bedtime's uh, gotten a lot earlier lately. I know. <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> I don't know what, what's happening, but I just suddenly only sleep from eight to two and then intermittently afterwards. Um, so, uh, where, where could they find this pad podcast we're making, Philip? Well, if you're listening to it, you can obviously find it where you already found it. Uh, if that what? happens to be, <laughs> if that happens to be YouTube, uh, I would encourage you to like, uh, comments and subscribe and hit the notification bell to make sure that you get notified every time we put up a new episode. Um, I did it and it works. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, if you, um, are just a listener, you know, you can find us wherever, um, or you want to, you know, listen to us, uh, sometimes when you can't watch a video or whatever, uh, you can, find us anywhere where you can find uh podcasts um and um if you really like our podcast and you want to support us and uh you know join a community that is about progressive parenting and you know uh figuring out how to go through this crazy experience uh while also sort of standing and fighting against uh the you know current hegemony of society uh you can support us financially on patreon patreon.com slash race and left um and you can join our discord uh and we will use all of that to support either stuff for this podcast directly or um you know just leftist projects in general so if you really like it and you want to support us check us out on patreon Yep, I agree. And uh, as always, reach out to whatever local organizations you have in your community. Uh, there are things, ev people everywhere doing things. As much as we just talked about having your door, having the doors open to all kinds of political ideas that I didn't know existed, having the doors open to political organizations that existed in my community I never knew about. There are people doing amazing, cool stuff wherever you are, I promise. Um, so look them up. Have a wonderful morning, afternoon, evening, or whatever other time of day it is. Thank you. Bye.